and welcome to Mum in It, the podcast where we chat all things parenthood. I'm Harriet Shearsmith and I am indeed mumming it with my three kids, but I want to find out how other parents are navigating their parenthood and what that looks like. This season, we're talking parenting through a pandemic. And don't forget, at the end of every episode, I ask my guests for their parenting hack. Smallest things that will make the biggest difference. And if you're a fan of hacks and life tips, don't forget to check out my book, Mumming It, which is available to order now. to the podcast this is the season finale I have with me a really special guest someone who I have made great friends with over the internet and whose work I am a huge fan of I have Molly Forbes with me Molly will you tell us a bit about yourself for anybody who doesn't know what you're about and what you do yeah sure thank you for having me first of all I'm a mum of two I've got two daughters I'm a journalist former journalist I don't work so much as a journalist anymore a campaigner an author my book is Body Happy Kids it was out on the 1st of April and I'm a director of a social enterprise called the Body Happy Organization and my thing and my passion and all my work and everything I do is about cancelling diet culture around kids and helping adults help the kids in their care be friends with their bodies basically so it's all about promoting positive body image in children. I absolutely love that because I think never so much have we noticed diet culture so much and never have we so much had it pushed into our faces like years and years ago when I was a kid we didn't even really have the term diet culture it was just my mum was on a diet on Monday and you might be on a diet because um, you're 14 now so of course you're on a diet and I think we've never really acknowledged it for what it is it is a culture it is this massive multi-billion pound industry that makes money off our insecurities and it starts right from when they're really little I know I've been reading your book recently because following out from lockdown and things, Toby's gone back to school and started saying things like, am I bigger than I used to be? Am I fat mummy? And he, he's not by any stretch of the imagination. And we talk about, you know, how fat isn't necessarily a thing that you are. It's a thing that you have and that kind of thing. Everybody has fat on their body. It's not a big deal. I think it's a mixed bag. Like you look at a lot of the children that have gone back and their bodies have changed the same as ours have over lockdown I don't know what impact you think lockdowns and things have had on body positivity for kids and for parents as well it's so interesting because I think that I was really interested when the pandemic first hit and we went into lockdown and you know there were like all the newspaper headlines and images of people pushing their trolleys out of supermarkets with Mm. their trolleys piled high with toilet rolls and there was all the talk about people stockpiling and people being anxious about their cupboards being bare or running out of food but at the same time almost instantly diet culture ramped up and there were all these memes going about and jokes going around about people gaining weight during lockdown and post-quarantine bodies and it was like almost instant and I thought that was really interesting that we are in a global pandemic millions of people were dying and the conversation was about weight and I just thought like how you know if we're going to be talking about anything in terms of health like surely we'd be talking about I don't know smoking or you know considering but actually the conversations were all about how you know weight and what that to me signifies is that as a culture we have a very narrow view of what health is Mm. and our ideas of health 
are completely framed by the diet culture kind of atmosphere that we live in. So we call it weight normative ideas of health, which is basically, put it really simply, it's the idea that your weight defines your health and that you can tell anything about someone's health from looking at them. And so how that translates to children is that it means that we can teach children about for example, healthy eating in school and children learn from a really young age to fear certain foods and to kind of vilify certain foods and then put other foods on a pedestal. And that's actually really bad for their relationship with food. And we can get into that more later. But also what it means is that we teach children really early on that in order to be healthy, you need to look a certain way. But more than that, in order to be considered a valuable, worthwhile person who's deserving of respect, you need to look this way because we're teaching kids that in order to be respected and valuable and you know do your bit as a citizen you have to have a certain shape body and that's weight stigma in action that is literally the discrimination of people in bigger bodies and I think that it's really interesting seeing the effect over the past year that lockdown has had on kids body image but also their wider mental health because actually health is so complicated and so many aspects of our health are actually completely outside of our control. The things that have the most impact on our health and our you know, lifespan are like the social determinants of health. So for example, where we live, you know, family income, our economic background, our access to education, our access to healthcare. And a lot of these things are actually things that are outside of our control. They're things that as a society, collectively, you know, the politicians have actually more control over a lot of that stuff than we do on an individual basis. Mm. But what we're teaching children and what we believe ourselves is that our health is all about individual responsibility. It's all within our own personal control. And health is all about what you eat and how much you move your body. It's not taking into account the impact of, you know, weight stigma. So like if you're bullied in the playground, for example, if you're a kid, that has an impact on your health, not just on your mental health, but the research shows it takes a physical toll on your health. Also the impact of weight cycling. So gain and losing weight, which often happens if you're going on and off different diets. That is independently, yeah, that's independently really bad for health, you know, and there's so much research to show that. And also, like, if we're talking about, like, health behaviours, like movement or what food you choose to eat or whatever, we also need to be talking about sleep. We need to be talking about social media boundaries, you know, how much time kids are spending on screens, how much time kids are having outdoors, you know, how much time they're socialising with their friends, because all of these things impact children's health as well but we're not taking a holistic view of health and that is having a really harmful impact on the way that kids think and feel about their bodies and on the judgments that they're making about other people's bodies as well and I think that it's really interesting I think that being exposed to maybe more conversations at home parents being under so much pressure like this constant 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 chat and you know tv programs all about burning the calories and then also for lots of people their bodies have changed my body's changed because my routine has changed and for some kids food has become a source of comfort which is actually okay we've been through this you know we're still in it this really like traumatizing time and for many people they've lost loved ones and actually that's 
something that collectively it's collective trauma of course that's had an impact on our overall health but actually if we've gained weight that's really not something to be focusing on in the whole scheme of things it's funny isn't it because that's one of the first things that was focused on not just socially when all the kids went back to school but also in the wider media and that kind of thing there was talk of how we're going to weigh kids and get them to lose that weight after lockdown I remember that being in the newspapers we're going to weigh children we're going to see how much weight they've put on obesity is now going to be the fallout crisis after this. And I just remember thinking, wow, I can't imagine how traumatizing it would have been to have gone back after lockdown, having, for example, Toby, he hasn't been able to do any football. He hasn't been able to do any sport. You know, we've, we've been for a daily walk, but that's about it. He hasn't been able to join any clubs. So of course his body's changed because he's been more static than he was before. And there's not really much that you could have done about that. And again, it goes back to that comfort thing with some children. But the fact that the focus was so instantly on weight loss and on the impact that lockdown has had on weight that was really worrying I don't know how it affected your girls have they noticed much of it in school I mean you can probably guess we talk about this stuff a lot at home my kids are pretty switched on to body image and we have a lot of conversations about things like you know fat isn't a bad word Mm. and we talk about you know how health is made up of lots of different things and I've actually had conversations with my kids school about some of this stuff as well So I think that their school is quite switched on. But having doing the work that I do, I know that this is an issue because I get hundreds of messages every week about it online. And when I'm running workshops or doing talks, it often comes up. And I understand why it comes up because of these ideas of health. We've got this really oversimplified idea that if you gain weight, that's bad for your health. And if you're fat, you're automatically unhealthy. And, you know, the constant narrative around health is around the quote-unquote obesity epidemic and actually there's a huge part of the story that we're not being told a big part of the picture that isn't being painted in these conversations and people don't have the full story you know if going back to what I just said about weight stigma and weight cycling a lot of the research into the impact of being higher weight and how that's bad for you and how that's unhealthy that research doesn't take into account the impact of weight stigma or weight cycling and we know that those two things are independently bad for health actually maybe you know some of the research is showing a correlation but not a causation and there's a difference between correlation and causation and I think that's really important to note because what happens is that we think right in order to be healthy you need to lose weight and it doesn't matter how you lose weight if you go through like unhealthy ways to lose weight I mean there is actually no proven healthy way to kind of lose weight and keep it off long term right and actually if we know that maybe what we've been told about being higher weight isn't so straightforward, then why are we so desperate to, you know, carry on down that path? I think the other thing to note is that weight is impacted by over a hundred different factors. It isn't just what we eat and how much we move mm-hmm. our body. And I'm not just talking about genetics, although that is obviously part of it, but there are so many different factors that influence our weight and many are beyond our control. And lots of doctors now are calling for weight to not be viewed as like a behavior. It's not a lifestyle choice. It could be due to many different reasons and it is very complicated and so basically when we're teaching 
kids that in order to be healthy, you have to be thin. What we're potentially doing is teaching them that in order to be healthy, you have to do whatever it takes to make your body thin. And so for lots of kids, research is showing this, it's leading them into like dangerous kind of disordered eating territory. And it's really important to note as well that you can have an eating disorder, whatever size or shape your body is. So you can be in a bigger body and still have an eating disorder. We know that kids who feel bad about their body and have poor body image are more likely to smoke and binge drink and experiment with drugs and try dangerous bad diets. There's also evidence to show that boys who feel bad about their body are more likely to experiment with things like steroid injections to kind of like get that kind of love island look. All of this is really unhealthy. So actually, if we care about the health of kids, we need to stop talking about weight. We need to start talking about behaviours, recognise that some of these behaviours are actually going to be much harder for some kids to engage in. If you have a low income family and you're getting your food from food banks and you don't live near safe, wide open spaces to go and exercise, then obviously, you know, if we're talking about eating vegetables and doing exercise, that's going to be harder for some kids, right? So actually, we need to take a bigger picture and say, what can we do as a society so that everyone has equal access to these things? And then recognise that even if all children ate the same food and moved their body in the same way, they would still all have different body shapes because body diversity is a thing. We're human species. We're not all meant to look the same. Exactly. It's really strange that we have this singular ideal. And I mean, it changes decade by decade, doesn't it? we have this ideal of what someone should look like. And yet, even if you ate exactly the same thing, worked out with exactly the same things, did exactly the same diet, injected the same whatever, never all look the same. And that's not how things are meant to be. Changing tact ever so slightly. What was your personal experience of parenting throughout the lockdowns and things? Because I know for myself, quite a lot of the homeschool materials and things that we would get, not necessarily from the school, but also from what I found online, they would be weight stigmatizing and that kind of thing. And especially when they were talking about health, like we did something with science and it was categorizing foods as good or bad. I was just thinking, "Mm, no, everything can be a good food. And I was the parent that was sat there going, well, actually, darling. (laughs) And I just I just remember thinking it's stacked against them right from the very, very, very beginning. You've obviously written a book and all sorts Mm -hmm. throughout all of this. So what's been your personal experience of parenting through the pandemic? I found it really tough. I found it really tough for loads of different reasons. I think part of the reason, particularly last year, I got my book deal three weeks into lockdown. So I was homeschooling the kids. I was still doing all my other work. I was just launching all these workshops for teachers and still doing my campaigning work and then writing a book. It was just too much. And my husband's a teacher, so he was still working and teaching online and things. And because of the nature of my work, like the demand for it was more than ever. And I was constantly getting requests for how can we teach this lesson on healthy eating in a non-damaging way. So then we were like putting together resources because actually like the the way that you're saying about food, like that's so common, that's really common. And that all comes from these ideas that some... Sorry, Molly, I'm I'm just noticed that somebody's about to drop something on my doorstep, which means my dog will go mad. So I'm... (laughs) look at him every time and I'm thinking don't you bloody dare <laughs> like, I'm good. I'm good. I'll have to pause you God, honestly this is working from home life you should probably need it. <laughs> you know you want to make like a cameo on the podcast <laughs> sorry to have interrupted you you were talking I about- can't remember I'm I was saying about food and the food yeah 
So what you were just saying just now about food education and, you know, kind of categorizing food and stuff and sorting food into like bad food and good food or healthy and unhealthy, that's so common. And we see that so much in Mm. schools. And because loads of parents were doing these classes at home and schools were probably getting concerned about kids gaining weight and eating loads of snacks. And because of all the like noise, the diet culture kind of noise and this lack of understanding of the nuance around health some of these lessons were like ramping up worse than ever and actually they never come from like a bad place like no teacher wants to cause harm but they were inadvertently causing harm with some of these these lessons and so because of the nature of what I do I'm at home like trying to teach my kids I'm writing a book about this I'm interviewing all these people reading all this research also doing all my other work and then having to work alongside registered nutritionists to help create alternative kind of food education resources which is like a massive job and I think actually if anyone listens to this and they're like well what's wrong with teaching kids about good food and bad food there's two things that are really interesting that you can take from this so the thing about a food is that you might think that teaching kids about good food and bad food is like empowering and it's going to empower them to make healthy choices but actually all the research shows that it has the opposite effect so kids who learn to see some food as better than other food and kind of equate kind of moral value with certain foods it will either lead them to fear certain foods and have a quite problematic relationship with food or it can also make them more interested in eating the very foods that you don't want them to eat so if your whole thing around like chocolate is to be really restrictive and kids never have any access to like those kind of quote-unquote fun foods you know chocolate cake whatever what happens is when they do get access to it because they will get access to it at some point they don't know how to control themselves around it because they have this binge restrict mentality they have to like eat as much of it as possible because it's going to be taken away from them they don't know when they're next going to be allowed it and actually if you think as an adult anytime you've ever been on a diet you know it's so common that if you are denying yourself certain food and I know I've been there myself you're restricting certain food the food that you really want to eat you can't stop thinking about it because you're not allowing yourself to have it and the same is true with kids and what we're doing as adults we're putting all of our stuff onto kids we're using adult food rules and Mm. our adult diet culture kind of oversimplified health ideas around food and we are teaching kids do view food in that way too because we think that we're doing like the right thing yeah yeah? but actually all the academic research and all the registered nutritionists and dietitians that I've interviewed are like shouting they are up in arms and saying this is really really unhealthy this is not the way to go food education should be talking about where food comes from it should be talking about the celebration and the the cultural meaning of food because the other thing is that actually food has a really important place in culture and it's all very well to teach kids to go and eat kale but actually not all kids have access to organic kale from Waitrose you know like that's actually really stigmatizing for kids that don't live in a family that has access to that kind of food you know Oh, it's really hard. It's a really hard one. And I think the only way that we can get around it is through education, not of kids, but of adults and raising awareness. That's why I wrote a book about it. And it's what we do with our teacher workshops. And that's why the pandemic for me, it was really tough because I was really like so frustrated, but also working really, really hard and also just trying to survive day to day, just like everyone else and trying to be a good mum. And I just felt, I felt so stretched so thin I ended up in therapy and um, which was amazing actually that was really positive thing but I ended up just 
like I recognized that I was making myself unwell but in a way like I needed to experience that in order to feel better again and address some of my own kind of stuff so last year was a journey it was, it was a ride a, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a, a ride journey, I don't want to do it I don't want to go back no, no one wants to go back <laughs> on that ride again do no. they I think you work so much in diet culture and as we've already said the memes the jokes the relentless you know, get rid of that lockdown stone all this kind of thing does it ever have an impact on you personally where you sit and go do you know what? I don't like my body either because you are such a beacon of body positivity you really really are and you shine so brightly with it you honestly I know it sounds corny but you do you are so empowering with it do you have those moments because I do and I've said it on my channel as well that I might talk a lot about body positivity and I feel so much more body positive than I did when I was younger but I still have those days where I look and think no <laughs> Mm-mm. with everything and being so heavily involved in it did you feel yourself slipping at any point and thinking well maybe I should lose weight or oh, maybe my body isn't any good did that ever impact you I think that the thing about body image is that it's not a static thing because it's a psychological construct. So the way we think and feel about our bodies does change on a daily basis, just like our bodies change and the shape of our bodies change yeah. the way we think and feel about our bodies. And that's the case for me, just like anyone else, because I'm a human being and we're all like messy human beings. <laughs> what I try to do now is lean into it a little bit and embrace it and recognize it for what it is. So what has been really useful for me over the past kind of few years with my own body images I literally like I practice what I preach so the thing that helps me on the days where I might be feeling not so great is recognizing it for what it is and what it is is it's weight stigma it's fat phobia it's a fear of fatness that our culture and our society constantly mm. promotes and I'm like in a straight size body I'm a non-disabled person I'm white cisgender like my body carries a huge amount of privilege yeah and I have so many friends whose bodies don't carry those same privileges and I can see that for so many people weight stigma literally is killing people like people are not going to the doctor you know they're getting late diagnoses because they're being told to go on a diet and that will fix everything and they're being denied like proper treatment and that makes me really angry so when yeah, I bring it back to that it helps me rationalize some of the feelings that I might be having about my own body and recognise actually diet culture is not going to let any of us go without a fight. It wants to keep us being fixated on our bodies. So the thing that really helps me in those moments is just kind of being really kind to my body and almost like treat myself like I would with my kids. So sometimes talking about it helps, you know, and getting those feelings out with either a friend who understands or my mum sometimes. I chat to her about a lot of stuff, but often it's just kind of rationalizing it so I don't ever have those days where I feel really like a real low point in the way that I used to I haven't yet and this could happen like been tempted to try some kind of damaging dangerous kind of behavior in order to like lose weight quickly which I have done in the past because I'm just not willing to go back there no it's funny um, how when you start to see it for what it is how damning and dangerous mm. it actually is that you start to go I'm not going back to that I'm not no. doing that again I started slim fat 
fast and that kind of thing when I was 11. It came from my mum actually saying to me, you're not happy with your weight, which I wasn't because I was being bullied, but Mm. also I was in a much larger body as a child because I was unhappy, really unhappy. And I used food as a comfort tool. And I remember her saying to me, if you lose weight, you can get your belly button pierced because that's what I really wanted to do. And actually looking back on it, that was really damaging for me. I wouldn't eat for days. I would, you know, eat salad sandwiches instead of anything else. I would use Slim Fast for a week. At age 11. At age 11. And then eventually by the age of about 13, so this went on for a couple of years. I got my belly button pierced because I got a flat tummy because I'd lost loads of weight. For ages, I saw that as like a real achievement. And now you look back at it and you think, wow, that was so dangerous. Not just for me mentally, but also for my body physically. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't good for me. And again, the same after I had my kids, because there's so much pressure around losing the baby weight and that kind of thing, that I went into this spiral of carbs were the devil. Couldn't eat anything that had carbs in it. You know, I'd have a stir fry and it'd just be the vegetables and the chicken, or I would go out for a meal with friends. It would be at a pizza restaurant and think, well, there's nothing for me to eat, so I won't. Or I'd ask them to change the menu. And it got to the point sometimes where I wouldn't go out. And I know that I can get that bad. And I just flatly refuse to go back to it. I was looking at a picture of myself the other day and I was thinner when I was 40 weeks pregnant with Toby than I am now. And everybody used to coo over how gorgeous I looked, how healthy I was. I was so unhealthy, mentally and physically. And I think that's a real awakening. And that's when you start to go, actually, I'm not going back to that ever. And it's when you start to acknowledge it for what it was and what it does to you physically and mentally. And a lot of that had come from being told when I was pregnant with Reuben that I couldn't have a water birth. I couldn't have a non-consultant led birth because my BMI was over yeah. and that kind of thing. So it's like tangent there, but it's, it all no, it's so it? much of what you're saying is it's just so common, unfortunately, and it's really sad. There were so many things that you, you were saying then that I'd like to like pick up on <laughs> and kind of work out which one. I guess the first thing is you mentioned about bullying and confidence and how yes. your mum thought that in order to help you would be to change the shape of your body because that yes. would help with any kind of bullying Completely. happening. So that's a really common one that we hear a lot. And that's often a common reason why adults give to put kids on diets because they believe they're helping the kids because then mm. they won't get bullied. But I mean, victim blaming? Yeah, much? Like, I mean, actually, what we need to do is address the culture of bullying. We need to tackle why the bullying is happening. We change the culture of bullying. We don't change the child's body. Exactly. Because actually, like I said before, there are so many different factors that influence the shape of our body. You can't change the shape of your body. And then there'll be people listening to this say, well, I went on a diet and I lost those away. That might have happened to you, but long term, over five years, the evidence shows that people tend to gain the weight mm. and then some, unless they continue with other kind of harmful eating behaviors. And if your reason for kind of carrying on down that path is to have a thin body, to be healthy, but then you're doing unhealthy things to have that shape body, then it's not about health at all, is it? It's about something else. Yeah. And the other thing is the age that you were. So you were 11. So we know like that kids, when they start to go through puberty, it's very common for their bodies to change and for them to gain weight. And often kids will go out before they go up. Yes. Yeah. So, we see this all the time with the boys. Yeah. They'll suddenly it's, go out and everything's tight. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like half yeah. a foot too small. <laughs> exactly. And that is so 
common. And even in this past year, if you think about teachers noticing that kids' bodies have changed, well, mm. some of these kids, their bodies will have changed not because they haven't been doing any exercise or they've been eating more snacks or whatever, but actually their bodies will have changed because of puberty and their bodies would have changed anyway. What we need to do is like let kids' bodies do their thing. We can't mess with their bodies. That can have a real harmful impact. Any kind of restriction, that's why any kind of doctor, whether it's a dietitian or a nutritionist or whether it's, you know, a doctor who, who's like an epidemiologist, like they will often advise against intentional weight loss with kids and restriction because they recognize that there are huge harms with that mm. you know children's bodies need nutrients their bodies are still growing and developing and their brains are still growing and developing and but also food isn't just about fuel it's about so many more other things so if you were comforting yourself with food I would love to go back in time and be like say to little Harriet what's up and get to the root of maybe help you like understand why you were comforting yourself yeah. with food and what was happening in your life that was making you have to you know use those coping mechanisms and then tackle the bullying why is the bullying happening and that like takes a whole school cultural shift mm. rather than like it was never your fault no. it was never the fault of your body and you were made to feel like it was your fault and it was the fault of your body and in order to stop that from happening you had to change the shape of your body and that's so sad but unfortunately it is so common and it's common. happening more and more and, and I think that links more yeah. to why we have so many problems now with disordered eating and I don't know if that's just because we're acknowledging it more or if it's because the problem is getting worse I would say probably bit of both really and it, it did it set me up for a long time of disordered eating that I didn't even recognize was disordered eating until I hit my 30s really and started to say oh hang on a minute this <laughs> that wasn't normal and I think that it had a huge impact and that's that's a long period of time to have a dodgy relationship with food and with my body and to go up and down and up and down in weight it's not good is it it's not healthy no. and it's so normalized mm. it's so normalized like I remember when I was doing some of the kind of stuff I never told myself I was on a diet because I knew kind of about diet culture and I recognized that diets weren't like the one so mm. what I used to tell myself was that I was going on a quote-unquote health kick but that <laughs> health kick always involved intense restriction mm -hmm. and working out in a way that you know, moving my body in a way that was more about punishing it and celebrating yeah. what it could do so I had actually quite an unhealthy relationship with food and with exercise and the problem is that behavior is so normalized in our culture you know I'd go to school and be like chatting with the mums in the park after school and it would all be about what people were or weren't eating mm -hmm. these conversations about food and exercise and you know whatever quote-unquote health quick or diet we're on at the moment there is normalized these conversations about the weather like it, it's yeah, small completely. talk in our culture it's small talk and it's a way that women particularly will use to bond and connect with each other there's this idea that no one likes the shape of their body no one's comfortable or at home or happy mm. in their body and if you are you're somehow full of yourself or there's something yeah. weird about you how dare you be confident um, exactly so everyone should be wanting to change their body so what are you doing this week to try and change mm. yours and it's just so normalized it's ingrained and it's so unhealthy and it's so damaging for me it took looking at my kids who were really little then two little girls and I just thought I want 
I want more for you. I don't want you to have to relearn to have a positive relationship with your body and feel good and trust your body and just be at home and at peace in your body. I don't ever want you to lose that. And so that was what made me kind of address some of my own stuff that I was doing. But unfortunately, it does often feel like pushing water up a hill. (laughs) But the fact that we're having this conversation and that more people are becoming more aware of it and these conversations are happening and those books being written about it and for every 10 diet shows, there are also segments about body positivity yes. body access yeah. or a recent massive parliamentary report saying that they should get rid of BMI and talking saying they should get rid of weighing kids in school oh, and God, talking about that. weight stigma that was a massive massive moment and that gives me hope that things will be better for our kids and maybe they won't have to experience some of that stuff some of the things that have caused you know you pain in the past like hopefully the tide is turning you've got to have hope so. haven't you <laughs> You really do. do you think that's one of the positive things that has come out of it that we've been able to actually point a finger at all of these different things even down to oh you're more likely to get COVID if you're obese somebody messaged me and said she'd had really bad chest pains and she'd rung the hospital and they'd said oh well it's looking at your weight and things it's possible that you you need to lose weight and they said, exactly she really highlighted it and was like hang on a minute absolutely not you know this is all going on here you want to talk about my weight ended up that she had pneumonia actually which was missed but it's it's these things like this we're now pointing a finger at it and I think I don't know if you agree but that's one of the positive things that has come out of this pandemic is that we've seen this shift in acknowledging for the first time how damning and damaging diet culture can be yeah I mean people have been talking about this for decades if you look at like the roots of health at every size or fat positive activists like they have been doing this work for decades but I feel that Possibly, hopefully, maybe there's a sense that actually people are starting to listen. Although trolls on the internet still exist, there are still (laughs) many, many commentators who are more than happy to go on national TV and basically just say really discriminatory, offensive things and under the guise of like helping people. And that is still a thing. But for me, maybe that shows that diet culture is a little bit scared. And some of these people who are getting super angry about us reframing health and talking about the harms of weight stigma. Maybe they're the people who are benefiting the most from mm. us feeling bad about our body. They're not going to let us go without a fight. They're making no, too much money. No, why would they? There's too it. much money. Exactly. There's, yeah, there's they're too, making too, too much, much money. money. In the or... You know, for some of these people, they've spent a lifetime at war with their body Mm. and they're not yet ready to acknowledge and accept and explore the idea that maybe all of that was for nothing. And that um, is a hard pill to swallow. That is a very difficult. Yeah. When you've spent your entire life. I mean, it took me it took me a minute to go, actually, all of that was really wrong, especially if I'd, you know, had support from family members who really thought that they were helping and supporting yeah. but were making it worse. You don't want to point the finger at people and be no. like, mm, you actually really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, no. when I was 11, you shouldn't have done that. But also, imagine if you had like a multi-million pound business empire and millions and millions of Instagram followers based on your body shrinking tips yeah. and you had spent maybe 50 years of your life at war with your body and not being at home and feeling like almost scared of your body changing and you've done all of these things what if you found out that that was all for nothing that's, hard. You're, that's not going to go easily no. 
that you're not going to easily relinquish that. So we understand why some people are really angry about mm. it, but that doesn't mean that we have to just accept it. And no, say it doesn't. That, oh, okay, that's okay. We're still allowed to challenge it, and I will continue to challenge it. Good, <laughs> challenging. I think I really do. Yeah. I think it does need challenging. Okay, so if you could give people any tips, who if they're finding they're struggling, they're doing all the things that they think they should be doing with talking to their kids about how foods don't have a moral value, really reaffirming it at home like we do but then their kids are coming home and talking about fat or talking about that person's gained weight or making negative comments because particularly Toby I've noticed he does and he's very sporty and I think sometimes that goes hand in hand with that this culture of he moves his body and he's sporty not in his football team but in the team above that there's a couple of kids who are in larger bodies and that it has no impact whatsoever on how brilliant they are as little footballers and that's something that you you kind of have to point out to them of actually there are other kids with different body shapes to you that are either smaller larger whatever what tips would you give someone who is doing all the right things really but their kids are still coming home with it I think be gentle with yourself because we can sort of think that there's no rule book there's no kind of manual for this although in my book there's like practical activities and things Mm -hmm. that you can do but I think that recognize that this is a fluid thing and it's changing I think the very first thing that you can do is neutralize the word fat and teach children have conversations with children about how all bodies are good bodies mm-hmm. fat is just a neutral descriptive word in just the same way as thin but also older kids will be able to understand this that the culture that we live in does place a lot of value and emphasis on thinness and that is difficult but we don't have to subscribe to that so we know in this house in our family fat is never it's not an insult it's a neutral descriptive word you know we don't insult people we don't insult people like first of all let's not insult people but also this way not we don't call people fat but we don't insult people but also fat isn't an insult calling someone disabled isn't an insult you know Mm. insulting someone for the color of their skin like these are neutral words it's just there's not one type of body that is better than another type of body all bodies are good bodies and our worth as a person can't be defined by the shape of our body and then when it comes to things like sports and things kids like to have goals some not all kids but some kids really like to have goals that they can work towards and the dangerous thing is that when we teach children that the end goal is weight loss Mm. obviously that can lead to like a really damaging past so let's give them some other goals let's give them some goals about you know what skills are they really trying to work on and improve and let's get them focusing on the skills because actually there are so many benefits to sport and movement if you're doing it from a non-diet culture context it's such a brilliant joyful thing to be able to give kids that gift the difficulty is when they start to equate some bodies with being better at certain sports so I would say like talk about all those kind of intrinsic benefits of movement get them if they need a goal get them to focus on like improving certain skills that maybe they're looking to improve on and not equating that with the shape of their body give them representation so seek out athletic heroes and there are so many that we often don't hear about they don't often grace the covers of magazines Mm -hmm. but in my book I've put like a whole list of athletic sporting heroes who 
are in bigger bodies or they're disabled or they are trans like actually there are so many different athletes who are you know peak and so successful but they don't necessarily have a six-pack and so teaching kids that movement is for everybody and everybody should be allowed to enjoy movement and take part is going to get more kids wanting to be involved with sport and hopefully also get more kids kind of trusting their own body and then also maybe advocating for the kids around them go back to the 11 year old Harriet who was being bullied in the playground if there was a kid in the playground who was advocating for you who was saying well actually fat isn't a bad thing fat isn't a bad word it's not bad to be fat and also we don't comment on other people's bodies maybe that would have been like a powerful way to start challenging some of that that kind of narrative and that culture and that's what I hope is that when we have conversations with kids about this stuff and we don't have to have all the answers by the way because I definitely don't have all the answers but when we start to have conversations with them allow them to explore it in a real judgment-free way what we can do is not just make sure that our kids are growing up having a really positive good body image which is a vital part of their overall health and well-being but also that they're going to be less likely to make judgments about the children around them and other people whose bodies don't look or function like them Mm -hmm. and if we want to raise kind-hearted accepting good citizens I think that's a really brilliant gift to be giving them you know we're like raising a little generation of little future advocates who are going to continue to do the work and you know look out for the other people you know in their life who maybe don't fit that kind of body ideal that they're constantly told that they should fit so I would say like be gentle with yourself conversations focus on skills when we're talking about sports rather than weight and also be open to the fact that you don't always have to have all the answers you can have conversations with your kids without having the final answer I love that because my kids will quite often look at me and I will say I don't know I'll look it up for you and they've got kind of used to that now but they do kind of expect that you will just know sometimes yeah I know to them that actually you maybe don't and maybe there isn't a straightforward answer either to certain questions so asking them what they think so like if they have a question like mummy someone at school said that I was fat and made me feel sad like for a young child like first of all empathizing so I understand that must have been upsetting for you because it's never nice when someone comments on your body when you didn't give them consent to comment on it and that's upsetting but also how did that make you feel and why did it make you feel that way could it be because we've learned that fat is a bad word but we know that fat isn't a bad word it's just a neutral word you know and then for older kids like I think that and saying well what do you think what do you think like putting and helping you can unpick it together and I've had conversations with my kids about this stuff and it's helped me come to some answers that I wouldn't otherwise have come to sometimes they can teach us so much can't they they are they're quite (laughs) switched on some of the things that they'll come out with you know you you listen to them and you think okay well you look at that from a different perspective because you've not got years of stigmatizing it so that actually hearing it really smacks home it's that kind of oh actually yeah if I could just think like that yeah that's bang on actually that's the truth of it but you don't see it because you're seeing it through adult eyes exactly I ask at the end of every podcast for a mum hack and it can literally be anything my book mum in it is packed with mum hacks everything from cleaning the kitchen sink right through to I need that one (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, I need that one. Well, I say clean the kitchen sink, but you know, I haven't done it today. Like, <laughs> I haven't done it today. But literally anything at all, what would be your one mum hack that you could share with everyone? Let's go back to that thing that about conversation. So we're just talking about having conversations with kids. It's all very well for me to say, have a conversation with your kids. But we all know that often kids don't always want to have a conversation. Any parent whose kid comes out of school and you're like, did you have a good day at school today? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to yeah monotone nothing happened so um I've got some hacks about kind of how to go about having conversations with your kids so first of all physically it's really great if you want kids to open up to you to kind of be in a situation where you're moving so maybe walking down the street going for a walk together yeah if you're walking side by side shoulder to shoulder rather than facing each other you're probably going to be more likely to have your kid open up and be a bit more open to a conversation and there's research and there's evidence around that which is really interesting or going for a drive is another good one you know Mm -hmm. some of my best chats with my husband are often in the car when we're both next to each other shoulder to shoulder so you know for older kids who can sit in the front seat of the car going for a drive not for the purpose of the conversation or don't tell them that anyway but you know (laughs) going for going for a drive could be a really great way to open up so that's kind of like a physical thing and then asking specific questions so for example let's say body image friendship self-acceptance you want to check in with your kid and see how they're doing today maybe rather than saying how did you feel today you might say who were you kind to today who made you feel good today you know real specific questions who did you sit next to at lunchtime today what conversations did you have while you were eating your lunch you know that is a really good way to kind of check in particularly with young kids yeah and and get an idea of where they're at and also just create a real open environment so that hopefully they're going to be more likely to come to you with their stuff and you don't have to go digging and go for like a two-hour drive (laughs) with them to get them to kind of open up those are just some like little practices practical things that I think can help because conversations are like so important for for everything they're important mm. for our health and our happiness and our mental health and as parents they're a really great way for us to check in with our kids it's no good if we don't always have and I'm guilty of this definitely as well life is so busy yeah. it's hard sometimes to find moments to check in so those little in-between moments are a really good opportunity to just kind of check in and see how your kids are feeling and get a sense of where they're at with stuff every dinner time we'll sit down at the dinner table and I used to say to the kids come on then tell us about your day and Edith who's six would be like well I woke up <laughs> and then I had breakfast and she would literally give you a blow by blow minute by minute run down and then so and so said this this and then this happened and you're like oh please <laughs> and then Toby will go mm, I did maths mm, did English and then I came home and I'm like mm, okay a bit more and then Ruben will go I got up I went to school I'm home the difference between <laughs> six and ten so yeah. now we kind of get real specific so I'll ask them every dinner time we'll go around the table and I'll say to Edith what was your favorite thing about today what were you not so keen on about today and what was one thing you learned today and then it sparks off so many conversations that we usually yeah. end up sat there and two people still haven't had a go which is me and Adam every time <laughs> they're, they're going can I leave now because I've been sat here for half an hour but we've at least managed to get some kind of actual focused conversation that's led off into yeah. other things so I didn't know that by walking shoulder to shoulder I love that I think that's really yeah helpful. and I, I love the idea of just getting specific to get conversations like who are you kind to that's not a question yeah. I would normally think to ask my kids but I bet if I did that's going to open up some really good conversations with it's them a nice one and the, the moving thing like going for a walk or going for a drive that can also be really helpful for kids who are maybe feeling a bit upset getting them out of that situation let's go for a walk because we all know like I mean lockdown if it's taught us anything the benefits 
of a walk and being yes. outside. <laughs> That's another one of the positives. Yeah. Benefits <laughs> of a walk. Although my husband yeah. would disagree because by the end of it, he was like, I'm not coming on a bloody walk. No. <laughs> not the same walk anyway. Never. Seeing the same ever. thing. Again, so. <laughs> but other than him, that wasn't so good for his mental <laughs> Well, Molly, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time out to chat to me. And it's been really interesting to talk to you and so informative and useful. And I hope that going forwards, it'll inspire parents to have different conversations with their kids around weight. And if they are panicking about that post-lockdown weight gain, to see it for what it is not a big deal, which is the, the goal really, isn't it? So whereabouts mm-hmm. can people find your book? So it's available everywhere. Wherever they sell books, you should be able to buy it. And you can get more resources at bodyhappyorg.com. We've got teaching resources, stuff for teachers, workshops, and also like downloadable stuff and other books. We sell other books as well and that are great for like body image kind of conversations with kids. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.